Good morning, everybody. It's that time to dig into Mark. Get excited. Yes, we're in Mark 14, the last third of Mark 14 anyway. And um, we'll finish up with that, God willing, today. And then next time into chapter 15. And if you know anything about Mark or you're looking ahead a little bit, there are only 16 chapters. So we're closing in on the end. By Memorial Day, we'll be finished with the Gospel of Mark. You might be wondering, what next? Are you wondering what next? Yeah. What are we going to do after Mark? Not Luke. Over the summer, we're going to study the book of Galatians. Good book of Galatians. And then maybe Luke. We'll see, Sue, since you said Luke. We'll, we'll see about that. Uh, we've done Mark. We've done Matthew. We've done John. Maybe it's time for Luke. Well, we'll see. But we'll do Galatians in between uh, now. and So uh, between Memorial Day and Labor Day. That it'll be pretty much exactly the summer. We'll go through the book of Galatians. Okay. Oh, I'm sure we've done Galatians before. Um, we've done Galatians. We've done Hebrews. We've done Revelation. We've done a lot of other books. But we're going to do it again, even if we have before. But if we did, it was like 13 years ago or something. So. <laughs> oh, I, well, I asked with Dan already. And he said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> So, um, anyway, that's, that's the plan anyway. If, uh, if it has changed because we just did it two years ago or something, no, I, we've done so many Bible studies, we've kind of run out. I guess we'll have to go to the Old Testament. <gasps> yes! Well, let's d dig into a long Old Testament book like Isaiah. You know, that would take us about 13 years, I think, to uh, the pace that we go usually, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to dig into Mark. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we, um, as, as we begin today. Our gracious Lord, thank you so very much uh, for your word. Thank you for the uh, friendship and unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the opportunity to study. Thank you for the minds that you've given to us and the scriptures that you've given to us. We pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open these words to us to understand and to apply to our lives. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before I forget, um, I was meant to say this before even praying, but upstairs in the commons... There are bags for some of our homebound members. Some of you have agreed, oh, yeah, I'm going to take those and, um, and give those to certain people or maybe at a facility or whatever. But there are names on bags that are unspoken for right now. If you are able to deliver those to some of our friends, uh, fellow church members who uh, are not able to get out, then uh, that would be amazing. It's a great uh, ministry of our senior uh, senior ministry. So uh, those are in the comments. Like I said, just look for those that have names on them. And if you're able to take, then yeah, Sherry, what more say about that? All right, so I, I think the ones from Heritage are taken care of, and then all the ones that are by zip code are on the long white table, so you can check that out. Okay. There you go. Yeah, if you already agreed to do that. Yep. Amazing. Yes, thank you for, for that. Um, 
Welcome also to everyone who is online with us today. Glad that you could join us. I have my chat up here so I can um, follow along there as well. Uh, we're going to be starting in chapter 14, verse 43. A couple of different sections here. Let me just go ahead and read through the whole thing so that at least we've heard it, even if we're not able to um, talk about every single piece of this. We At least we've heard it. Let's start with verse 43. This is following on the um, uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the temple, or into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and, and gave this testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another not made by, by men. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus said. Uh, that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. All right. So um, taking a look at our handout here, I wanted to uh, just start with some broad strokes. Uh, so if, if you're doing, if any, anyone a painter? Start with a canvas and you paint broad strokes first to get the background color and then you put in fine detail. So that's what we're going to do, 
broad strokes than finer detail. These verses of Mark 14 are paralleled in the other Gospels. We hear of Jesus' arrest and his trial before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the Jews. Um, we hear about that in Matthew 26. We hear about that in Luke 22 and in John 18. There are differences and nuances, some details that are shared in one gospel and others in another gospel. And so we get a whole picture based on all four, but they're also different. And each gospel writer has his own purposes and own themes and some things that he's emphasizing and um, that's not emphasizing the other gospels. For Mark, I find one of the things interesting to me is... I think the way that Mark tells this part of the um, the events of that Thursday night and Friday morning, um, the way he tells it is to especially draw contrast between Jesus and all the other characters in the account. So contrast between him between Jesus and Judas, to contrast between Jesus and Peter, contrast between Jesus and the religious leaders. Um, we've talked about Mark and sandwiches before. Remember how Mark puts a story that he, he breaks the story, so he starts to tell it, and then he finishes telling it, but in the middle, puts another part of, a, part of the, the story, uh, maybe a, a different scene kind of in between. And here's another one. So if you look at uh, where, in my Bible anyway, verse 53, it says, before the Sanhedrin. Um, so starting at verse 53. What's that? Yeah, before the Sanhedrin, right before verse 53. Um so those first two verses there, you hear about, so Peter followed him at a distance, right? Right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he's, he's warming himself by the fire. But then Mark just kind of leaves Peter and starts talking about the Sanhedrin and the, the questions of the high priest to Jesus. And then comes back to Peter in verse 66. And in between, again, it's like the meat of a sandwich, right? Uh, Jesus is there. And I think that the reason that Mark, he has different reasons for sandwiching different parts of stories together like this as he's telling in his narrative. Um, one of the reasons, I think in this case, he's especially emphasizing the difference between Peter and Jesus. And what's the difference? How would you describe the contrast, what's going on here, between Jesus and Peter? Truth versus denial. Okay, so in other words, being willing to speak the truth versus hiding from the truth. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jesus seems to be succinct and, and Peter... Yeah, almost goes out of his way to emphasize the, I, I do not know this man at all, whatever you're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah, calling down curses on himself and things like that. Helen? Okay, yeah, so Peter's in, into self-defense. Jesus, self-denial. Interesting. Yeah, we used to think about Peter, the one denying, but Jesus is denying in a different way. So there's Peter's denial of the truth, and then there's Jesus' denial of himself for the sake of the truth. Yeah, yeah, good. What else? Yeah, um, the, <laughs> it's interesting. They're 
the different gospel writers tell us a little bit differently. So is, was the rooster supposed to crow twice before or after he denied him three times? So, so did it crow and then he denied him that last time and then it crowed again? And, you know, so there's a little bit of um, uncertainty about exactly how that happened. But either way, Jesus had said, you will deny me three times. And the rooster is this indication, right? And a, and a reminder to Peter, because as soon as he hears it, what does he do? He weeps bitterly because it happened just as Jesus said. You know, Peter had said, I will die with you if I have to. I will not fall away. You said everyone's going to fall away. I will not. And Jesus said, you'll deny me three times. Yeah, it does. yeah. So at the very end of that, verse 72, it doesn't say that it, yeah, it doesn't say anywhere that it crowed already a first time. Just that it, it crowed a second time. Yeah. Anyways, um, back to the question, the contrast between Jesus and Peter. What I would say, too, is that there's a contrast in Jesus' faithfulness, right, his steadfastness, and Peter's weakness. So Jesus is able to stand up against the opposition, whatever comes, with understanding that, you know, this, this is God's work, this is God's mission. Peter has... Uh, as Helen said, self-preservation, right? Self-protection. Dennis? Supposedly, you know, they say that Peter was Mark's, uh, you know, wrote his, wrote his gospel. Yes, Mark, Mark was a disciple of Peter's, right? Yeah, yeah, so the fact that this is in Mark's gospel means that Peter had to tell Mark. And so that must have been really difficult for him to share. Because and I mean, Paul talks about this. And he says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm not boasting in myself. I'm boasting in, uh, in Christ. And so I... I will actually elevate my weakness because that glorifies Christ. And I think Peter must have had that same attitude that, um, you know, if, if, I, if I let you know that th this isn't, yes, I failed and God's grace is magnified in it. God's grace is made more sweet. In, in knowing my failure. Yeah. So I think when you come to the end of yourself, I've seen this in people just in my own life, where you, you come to the end of yourself and you've made, uh, not just made a mistake, but just utterly failed and brought shame upon yourself. Um, you say, there's a certain amount of freedom in not hiding from the truth. Everyone knows the truth anyway. It is just, it, it actually just um, emphasizes how far I've come by God's grace. You know, as Paul says, I am what I am by God's grace. Yeah, Ken? Yeah, certainly. I mean, wasn't Peter scared to death? I mean, after all, you know, it's one thing. Okay, we've got we've got these. We have Jesus, who we've seen do amazing things, and um, we've got these twelve of us at least, and there are other followers too, not just the twelve, but others who are around Jesus. But then, 
one of our own just turned him over. And he's like, this throws you off. What is going on here? And, and isn't Jesus powerful enough that he could just, you know, he, he could, even with a look, he wouldn't even have to speak a word. With a look, everyone would just fall backwards. And, you know, um, isn't he able to do that? And yet he is allowing himself to be taken away. And all of this stuff is probably swirling around in Peter's head, of course. And so he's scared out of his mind. And where he had been resolute before, no, nothing's going to happen to you, Lord. Uh, now he's, you know. And Jesus says this not in Mark, but um, uh, certainly in Matthew. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? So, yeah, we, if that's true for Peter. March? Yeah, we don't know this from Mark's gospel, but John tells us that the one who's um, the one who drew the sword to cut off the servant's ear was Peter. Yeah, put your sword away. Yeah, did I come to lead a rebellion? No, no, no. Yeah, so yeah, he's right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another piece to why Peter's, yeah, I mean, his head had to be spinning in confusion and, you know, uh, uncertainty and fear. All, yeah, all that wrapped in one. Yeah, it's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to lead the charge in restoring Israel, right? Uh, Acts chapter 1. Is now the time, Lord, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're expecting this, that he's going to lead them into something great. And why John and James said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, let one of us stand or sit at your right and one at your left. That's the expectation. Wait, wait, he's being dragged away now, bound up in hauled off to the religious leaders. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, what kind of contrast do you see between the religious leaders and Jesus? Some of the other contrasts that's going on here. And between Judas and Jesus. Yeah, Judas thinks he's right. The Sanhedrin think they're right. Yeah, and so there's a contrast there, isn't there? Um, yeah, Jesus is the only one who's right, but others think they're doing right. Yeah, the religious leaders think think he's a false prophet, uh, that he's a deceiver. And so they they're condemning him for that. Margie had come. I'm I'm sure that that had blinded them, that that the self righteousness and the self. Uh, promotion and things like that were probably blinding them. But I think that like if they, if they stopped to analyze it, they thought they were doing the will of God. They were protecting from people who were deceivers and false prophets. And what you do, what do you do with a false prophet? You stone him to death as they condemned him to death. Um, now, was there plenty of, um, uh, was there plenty of selfish or self-righteous activity going on or mindset going on there? Yeah. Yeah, there's that too. I think it sounds like from uh, a few good men, they couldn't handle the truth. Yeah, you can't handle like a few good men, yeah. You can't handle the truth. There's a little bit of that, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir.
Oh, yeah. Yeah, you said you don't know where you read it, but there are others who had posed themselves as false messiahs. Yeah, I mean, that was happening all through the first century leading up to uh, the time of Jesus, the first century B.C., um, others who sort of raised themselves up. There were others after Jesus. Remember back in chapter 13, Jesus had warned, there are others who will come, claiming to come in my name. There were other false messiahs and false prophets who uh, who rose up, and, and they were given as much the same treatment by the Jews. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Other thoughts while we're paused here? I don't know if, if you read through this. You know, when I read this chapter, it seems to me that the religious leaders are it's almost like they're worked up in a frenzy. But you, I, I, I anyway, picture Jesus as calm and unruffled. And it says, what is this testimony about these, that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. As someone who is completely in control. It seems like because he's bound and dragged and arrested that they are in control. But the whole time he is he's smooth and in control. And... When they say, are you the Christ? I am. You know, he's, I, don't, I don't think that it, he comes across as angry. He's not coming across as um, belligerent, just calm and in control. And that's how I read it anyway. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I think there's a contrast between Jesus and the religious leaders in that way. This has to be one of the saddest chapters in the gospel. For what reason? Why do you say that, Howie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Judas, the arrest, yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Um, it's heavy, right? It's very heavy. Yeah, yeah, the next chapter when he dies, that's the, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, if you put yourself into the position of Judas or Peter and you realize, well, I've done my fair share of betrayal and denial and uh, running in fear and, and all those things, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I thought I was right too. Yeah, uh, and plenty of times when I wasn't. Uh, yeah, so if you see yourself in that, then it definitely is heavy. It's almost like this. When when this serves as a mirror and it kind of points right back at your own life, then yeah, very very sad for sure. Yeah, obviously you know the this whole gospel um, is is telling about the resurrection too. So there's. Obviously, it's not hopeless, but Gospel Mark, in particular, of the of the, all the four Gospels, Mark especially emphasizes the failure of the disciples. I mean, the others point out the failure of the disciples too, but it seems like in Mark it is nonstop, and even to the very end when Jesus rises from the dead. And the women are at the tomb, and the gospel ends with them saying, you know, saying nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Another failure. And then, end. Yeah. So, and we'll get to that in a few weeks when we talk about Mark 16. But, yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. So the, the calmer Jesus is, the angrier they get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
anybody who's been a parent or a teacher might understand this when the kids are <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> the, it's like you want to get a rise out of them and when you don't then you get you even more angry <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah all right well let's um let's dig in some detail here shall we just some things I find interesting through the I mean, this is a lot of verses that we're looking at, but let's look at um, the first section when Jesus is arrested and a few things of interest here. The very first verse that we looked at today, verse 43, uh, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12 appeared. And that, that phrase, one of the 12, is interesting because it calls to mind what Jesus had predicted. When he's in the Last Supper and he's with his disciples, um, he says, one will betray me. Who, Lord? One of the twelve. The exact phrase he uses, one of the twelve. We know who Judas is. But Mark emphasizes it. And it's almost like it then heightens the betrayal. Not just anybody but one of the 12, and it affirms what Jesus had predicted. And how many times does Jesus predict something, and then it comes true? You know, at the very end, then, of uh, this chapter, we see the same thing. Just as he said, just as Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. So I just find that um, interesting emphasis there. The men seized Jesus and arrested him, verse 46. Um, We talked about this, on what basis was Jesus arrested? What were they charging him with? They were, they viewed him as a false prophet, that he was a liar and a deceiver. And it's why they came after him. I don't think that this was, well, there may have been some part of it that it was uh, like, well, he's a threat to the institution or something. You know, he's a threat to the um, institution of the sacrifice in the temple. Although he had talked about that. um, The charge that they were actually bringing against him was... um, being a deceiver and a false prophet. All right, turn the page over. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Verse 49. Obviously, this is uh, referring to the Old Testament scriptures. We didn't have New Testament scriptures at that point. (laughs) The Gospels were decades away from being written. The ministry of Paul, which the first writings of the New Testament, the first writings were the letters of Paul. Um, many argue that the book of Galatians is the first of the New Testament writings. So th- this was decades away at this point. Um, so this is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. But what scriptures? You know, he says the scriptures must be fulfilled. Which scriptures? Yeah, so many uh, many people argue that this is, oh, Jesus is at least in part referring to Isaiah 52, 53. You know this, um, you know, he was pierced for our transgressions, right? He was crushed for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We all like sheep had gone astray, right? All the, those words from it's a lot of Good Friday verses. Right? We read oftentimes read those verses on Good Friday. Because uh, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, it seems to be painting a really, really clear picture of the ministry of Christ. And um, long before Jesus was ever born. But there are other scriptures, too. That's just probably one of the highlights. Yeah, Sue, were you going to say something? Well, Isaiah 
Isaiah 7. Yeah, or, yeah, 53, 7, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was like a, like a sheep before his shears is silent, right? He did not open his mouth in verse 53, Isaiah 53, 7. Yeah. And it, and he remained silent and gave no answer, right? And verse 61 in, in Mark 14. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of fulfillment there. Um, Countless questions about that, other things? I look at this next bullet point, uh, just before the section that we were talking about before, before the Sanhedrin, uh, verse 51, 52. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment. Some people believe that this was Mark, the writer of the gospel. Like, why would you, why would you mention this random young man in your gospel, except to sort of throw in a hint that, I was there, y'all, you know, that, that kind of, uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that that's true. Uh, there's not ample evidence. Um, this was, I think, especially if you think about um, what I've written down here, you think, well, this must be really something strange that he ran away naked. Like, why, why is he there in such a position that he could even be left naked to run away from the garden? Um, was his garment so, so loose or so light that, you know, as soon as they grabbed hold of him, uh, he ran and just ripped off of him and he's got nothing on underneath or what? I usually don't go around <laughs> dressed like this. So it's, you know, it's kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. yeah, 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 right, right. Um, so it's interesting, uh, doing a little digging into this. This, uh, when it says literally, when it says a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment, literally means he was wearing nothing over his nakedness. But that word nakedness, and when he fled naked, that can literally mean very you know, very simply that he had nothing on. He was completely, you know, completely without clothing. But it can also mean, this. several instances of this in, in the Greek, in the Roman world, where the word gumnos, which means naked, actually doesn't mean naked so much as you are stripped down for battle stripped down for combat. So you have, you know, you have your sort of sleek undergarments with your sword strap, your, your um, scabbard or whatever tied around with your belt. Um, and then some kind of cloak over top of that. I, I think of sort of like a, a poncho or something that you just throw over top, but you're clothed in something that is good for being able to move, almost like athletic wear that you would put on so that you can either exercise or be in combat, wrestle, you're able to move swiftly without the, you know, baggy clothes and that kind of thing. That would be what you would wear underneath this garment. Does that make sense? Now I'm trying to like play fast and loose with the scriptures or something, like make it sound like it's something that's not, but this is actually a legitimate um, way that you, we could understand what uh, was going on with this young man. It was either that he had literally nothing on underneath his cloak, or it meant that almost like they were expecting something. And like Peter, who had a sword and drew it, then he fled away when they went to seize him. Um, he was ready, just like Peter was, for something to go on. But then when Jesus sort of stopped it and, um, and it was dragged away, he went fleeing away with nothing but his undergarment, like his athletic wear on, and leaving his overcloak or whatever that, that linen garment was behind. 
And we don't know this for sure. He could have, exactly like it sounds, you know, that he fled away um, absolutely naked. But interesting thing that I came across in, in studying this. All right. Um, second section. Any, anything else on that section, by the way? Arlo, go ahead. Back up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Yeah. Verse 50. Yes. So verse 50 says, everyone deserted him and fled. And that's before this incidence of these two verses of 51 and 52. Yeah. So what's your point or question? Oh, he was the only one that was there. Yes. Well, yeah. True. Yep. Yep. What does your note say? Do you have the same one? Is that a Concordia self-study Bible? Yep. And it says, not specifically identified, but his anonymity may suggest that this was John Mark. Is that what you're... Yep, yep. Indicates that the man was from a wealthy family that fine linen garments. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, not necessarily. Um. The the fine linen garment is not necessarily just a, just an undergarment, but it could be. Yeah, it could be. Other questions or comments from that? Yes, ma'am. When he was persecuted and being quiet, yep. Yeah, and what an example for us that is. I mean, the Bible tells us what we're supposed to do and not do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not supposed to argue with people, and we're supposed to be, you know, kind of, not in the background, but, you know, kind of leading by examples. And boy, what an example to follow. Jesus was being crucified, and he wasn't standing. Oh, yes. So you're saying what an example for us to follow when, yeah, I mean, even when, so um, Peter talks about this, First Peter chapter 2, he says, um, live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, right, they might actually see your good deeds and come to praise God when he visits us. Um, some, well, yeah, there, just sort of like Ecclesiastes, there is a, there's a, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time for war and a time for peace. You know, there, so it's not that it's one or the other. There's sometimes to speak and there's sometimes to be quiet. But the example of when, when the accusations come and the, you know, there is no defense to convince someone who is already convinced against the truth. There's nothing you can say to turn them against them. In all gentleness and grace and meekness, you stand before your accusers. And even if you have to let them take your life, you let them take your life. And you let your death be a a witness against them, just like Jesus. Now, that's not always what we do. Sometimes we have to speak and fight and battle, and you know. But yeah, when that when it when that time is the right season, then he's given us a good example for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, under point two on the second page of your handout. The uh, high priest is questioning Jesus, and he says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now I want you to go to the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark. Turn back to Mark 1.1. 1, 1. And what does it say? Jesus 
the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Now, from that first verse, you as a reader and every other reader who has ever and ever will read the Gospel of Mark, every reader of the Gospel of Mark knows the secret from verse 1. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Everyone in the story, within the story world, right, of the gospel, does not know. If you pick up on it, the demons say, we know who you are. <laughs> you are the one that, you're, you're Jesus, the son of the most high. Uh, you know, you, did you come to torture us? You know, the, the demons know. The characters, you know, human characters, they don't understand. In fact, especially the disciples demonstrate over and over and over again that they don't get it. They, um, they, they fail to see who Jesus is. And then you get to chapter 14, and the high priest says, Are you the Christ? The son of the blessed one? Now, what is blessed one? Who is that? Yes, God. I mean, over and over in the Old Testament, blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Blessed be the God of Abraham. Blessed be, you know, over and over, he is the blessed one because he is worthy. He alone is worthy of praise and honor. And so over and over, this this became... Uh, this became a way of circumventing speaking the name of God, Yahweh. Because the people, uh, the Jewish people still today do not want to speak Yahweh's name. In fact, if you, I, I've been on uh, just researching the um, Jewish festivals and that kind of thing. How are they, um, how are they practiced today? And you go on Jewish websites, and even the word God, they will not write God. It'll be capital G, uh, what's the star, what's it called? An asterisk, D. G asterisk D, because they don't want, or a, or a G dash D, because they don't even want to fully write out God. Or Yahweh, or Lord, or anything like that. They they don't want to use that term because they're so afraid of misusing the name of the Lord. So, you know when we memorize the Ten Commandments and that Second Commandment that says, "You shall not misuse, or you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain." Uh, when it says, "You shall not take the name of," the Lord in vain, that's not actually what the Scripture says. The Scripture actually says, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. He actually uses the name Yahweh. Why? It's uh, in the Hebrew, it's yud heh vav which is uh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And they don't even speak that name. Instead, they say Adonai, which means Lord, which you would say someone who is an elder, or a pastor, uh, someone who's a, a father or uh, a boss, an employer, you know, anybody who sort of has an authority over you, you would say uh, Adonai, my, my Lord, my, my, my superior, you know. And so they, they just used Adonai as the name for Yahweh. Uh, so it says, do not misuse the name of Yahweh, your, your God. Well, here they don't want to even mention God. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? This is a, a circumventing of using God's name. But it's referring to God, referring to the Lord. So it, this, is, this is almost like a, a direct... Uh, 
way Mark is by quoting the high priest here, recalling what he said at the very beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he, okay, okay, now this is sort of the first time that uh, Peter had at one point said, "Well, you are the Christ." He got that half right, even though he misunderstood what Christ meant. Doesn't back in Mark chapter eight, "You are the Christ." But he didn't get the second part. Now here it is, the enemy of Jesus who is confessing exactly who he is. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Yes. Is it? I am. <laughs> I am. And you'll see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand, at the right hand of God, the Mighty One, right? Another way of describing God, not with God or Lord. And coming out of the clouds of heaven. Yeah, what do you think about that? Comments, questions? Why were they so afraid to mention it? Why were they so afraid to mention it? Because they they did not want to misuse God's name. And so in order not to misuse it, they wouldn't use it at all. So they could never be accused of misusing it. Now, Martin Luther, I think he was absolutely right, he said, Martin Luther said, by not using it, they were misusing it. So when we say, uh, you know, don't, don't use the name of the Lord your God or use the name of Yahweh your God in vain, do you know what the word vain means? I'm a little bit of a word geek, so sorry, Sue, but I'm a little bit of a geek with words. But you know what vain means literally? Empty. It means empty. And when Ecclesiastes says, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, he's saying it's like it's emptiness, it's a vapor, it's it, it's nothing. So um, we so if you use Yahweh's name in a way that just you know so this is why as Christians we don't like when we're really frustrated with something to use Jesus' name in a sort of expletive kind of way because that is using it in a way that's empty and not in its true meaning and power. So they were so afraid of misusing it or using it in vain, they wouldn't say it at all. But then, again, Martin Luther, I think he's right, saying they just, they, they emptied Yahweh of his name by not actually using it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just because uh, why why do you not know that vain means empty? Um all these years you're sixty something years old and you said, I don't know this well, we're all learning something new every day, I hope. So there's your tidbit for the day. Bam. You know, and, you know, interesting that you mentioned getting your hair ready in the morning. You know what we call the sink with the mirror and the lights around it? A vanity. <laughs> yeah. Which comes from the, why do we call it a vanity? Because you can get your all, yourself all looking good on the outside and on the inside, you are totally vain. Totally empty. Yeah. That's why we call it a vanity. So don't be so worried about what you look on look like on the outside without worrying about what you are like on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, something real quick here, the, um, the last point of point two here. When, G, when uh, the soldiers say prophesy, verse 65, um, this actually, for me, confirms the basis for arresting and charging Jesus, that it was they were actually believing he was a false prophet. So they're mockingly saying, prophesy. If you're a prophet, prophesy. But I think the other piece of this too is so ironic that 
their expression of mocking is immediately followed by the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. You will deny me three times, and it happens. You want to talk about prophecy? Yeah, I did already. And he doesn't have to prove it anymore. All right. Um, he began to call down curses on himself. Um, we have five minutes left, so I figure we'll get to this last point here. Um, Peter's denials escalate from denial to outright rejection. So the uh, particular commentary is looking at, was talking about this in these terms. Peter says that he does not understand first. I, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Then he denies it. Verse 60, 69, right? Uh, or verse 70. Where is it? Um, yeah, again, he denies it, right? That's verse 70. And then... Then he calls down curses on himself, right? He curses and, sw and swears. I, I swear I don't know this man, right? Isn't that interesting that it says he called down curses on himself? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, this is a way of saying that he's is sort of like, I swear to God, I don't know. You don't swear to God if you're telling falsehood. You know, it, that's, that's just asking for damnation. And I think that's what it's referring to. He lied three times. Absolutely. <laughs> Deny, deceive, lie. Yeah, maybe a lot of different ways to describe that. But yeah, he lied. Absolutely he did. Yeah, where Jesus is speaking the truth, Peter's lying. Yeah, the, the, there's that contrast again. The, yeah, go ahead. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? What is the difference? One, one turned him over, one denied him. Uh, all the rest ran for their lives. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Traditionally, in the Christian faith, in the Christian tradition, Judas is eternally damned, and Peter became the first pope of the church. You know, it's like, uh, so what's the difference between these two, Helen? Yes, that's the church tradition. Yeah, what is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, the church has been wrong before, so I'm not, and I, and I, and I did say a little bit facetiously about Peter being the first pope, so I you know, understand we're, we're not Catholic. Um, it's a very good question. In fact, around, uh, around Holy Week and Easter every year, I have people asking me, um, and it's a good question, is Judas in heaven or is Judas damned? And I say, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, at the same time, you believe God's grace and, you know, Judas was no more in control of himself than Peter was. And Judas is, you know, he actually threw back the money that he got, almost like an act of repentance. So was he repentant? Now, again, traditionally, the church will say the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter came to repentance. Judas killed himself. And there is no salvation for someone who kills himself. Well, Lutherans don't believe that. It's not, I mean, just because you kill yourself, that's not an automatic ticket to hell. Um, so I, I just don't know. I mean, Jesus did say, he used pretty strong language and said, for that person who denies, it'd be better that that person were not even born than... It, in essence, than to suffer what's coming to him. And so, I don't know. I don't know. And I mean, ultimately, it is did one have faith and one did not? Did one, you know, did Judas actually have saving faith or was he just a hypocrite the whole time and around Jesus and 
not really following him or believing him, but Peter did. And that would be the only difference between salvation and damnation, right? So, yeah, Richard? Oh, yes. So because God knows everything and, you know, from beginning to end uh, and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, yeah, that's, that's sometimes the argument too, that, well, Judas was virtually a pawn, you know, he was selected by God. Someone had to betray him and that was just Judas. And so there's that, um, that argument too. And so that might be one of my top five questions when I get to heaven and I get to, you know, is Judas around here somewhere, or is, <laughs> um, I have a couple other questions that maybe are a little higher than that one, but um, not very many. Uh, that's just my way of saying I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Uh, the only because we I can't look into somebody's heart, and certainly not just from the story that we hear about um, about their time that was two thousand years ago. Um, I I can't look at someone's heart and know if they had faith or not. Only Jesus knows that. God knows that. Um, now, uh, last thought on the de- the denial of Peter. Um, so it goes a little bit along with this last note on the handout that there seems to be this escalation or progression. Mark doesn't do this, but I find it interesting. General co- the general consensus among scholars is that Mark was the first gospel written and then Matthew and Luke, and then John. Uh, Matthew, I think, actually builds on something that Mark has told in this section. And if you notice, um, first Peter's at the fire and warming himself, and then in verse 68, it says, uh, he, he denied it, this is what he said, and then he went out into the entryway. There, Matthew actually makes a big deal about the fact that he's by the fire. Then he moved away. And then he went to the entryway where he made that final denial and he heard the rooster crow. And then it says, then he went outside and wept bitterly. And it's almost like the physical location of where Peter was is... Uh, like a manifestation of where his heart was. He was just a little bit farther away, a little bit farther away, a little bit farther away. It's kind of interesting what Matthew does with it. Again, Mark doesn't make a, um, an emphasis on that, but, but Matthew does. Uh, does it say that? Where? I closed my Bible. Sorry. have to get back to it. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. So, interesting. So, you have the ESV. I have the NIV. And there's a disagreement. See, I have a, a little footnote. Mine happens to be an S. But there's a footnote down at the bottom. that says, some early manuscripts include the phrase, entryway, and the rooster crowed. Yeah. Now, there's a there's a reason why it's in a footnote in my Bible and probably in a lot of others as well. The ESV has chosen to say it's the reliable version that actually has him. Um, I would actually argue that the reliable version does not say that and why it's in the footnote in my Bible. And why do I say that? Because generally when there's a disagreement, you know how this works. There are many manuscripts that were written and so forth. And there are, there are minor differences like this. One says, and the rooster crowed. Why I said it's probably not the original, and it was added later, most likely, is because it's the harder reading. It makes sense that someone would say, well, wait a second. It says it crowed the second time. When was the first time? Oh, <laughs> a scribe enters that in thinking they're doing something right. You know, oh, come on. yeah. No, that's, that's what happened. And so the harder reading is generally the the right one. Yeah, sort of a, anyway, um, I know we're past time. You guys have hung around for another four or five minutes. 
appreciate that. I will answer your question, but I'll do it as we sign off and anybody who's uh, willing to stick around. And yes, what? And it was written 20 or 30 years after the fact. Yes, that is true. Yeah, yeah. All right. God bless everybody. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.